Ladies and gentlemen, it is Talking Tuesday again. Volume number two of that. Bringing it back. It worked so successfully last week. Landis is going to do it again as he gets ready for a Tuesday in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center with Ryan Day and Jim Knowles. Welcome back to the podcast daily. I'm Austin Ward. Bill's got a lot of things on his mind. And where will you begin and why is it the offensive line? Uh, Yeah, I guess it has to be the. Here's the thing like last year after the Penn State game, I thought I asked Ryan Day some tougher questions about the run game and like what the heck was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I did that like two years prior to that. I was at the athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really know what else to ask. This is the week. <laughs> I don't know what else to ask about it. Like everyone sees it, right? They are a bad running team. Um, they're not efficient. They're not explosive. They're not creative. Uh, and you don't want to be all three of those things. So, so I don't know where they go from here. And, I guess I'll be curious about just sort of the the attitude toward that from Ryan Day because he's going he's to get asked a lot about it, right? It's an offensive line question, but it's a, it's a more philosophical, right? How do you want to run the football kind of question? Because I, I I really do think that they are chasing balance, and and I don't know what the motivation is, right? Um, but I know they're doing it. We all see it. They're they're chasing balance, and it's coming at the expense of them being. A much better offense than I think they should be. I, I was reading Bill Connolly at ESPN and his like breakdown of Kyle McCord this week was writing about the Ohio State run game. They run more than half the time on standard downs, and they're 66 in the country in efficiency when they do that. Like that doesn't add up. They they need to throw the ball more than they are. And is I don't know is that a question about Kyle McCord and and the trust that they have in him to do so perhaps? And I don't necessarily disagree with it if, if it is right he's still an inexperienced quarterback and clearly he's working through some stuff because he started a little bit rusty um, against maryland but the world of we're playing two tight ends we're running stretch into the boundary um we're running 30 times on a play where we have 60 in a game where we have 60 plays like it just doesn't make any sense to me and i guess i would like an explanation as to why they continue to want to live in that world because i think they are limiting what they can be as an offense as long as they continue to do that So behind the scenes, we're slacking about it. And we spent a lot of time on Sunday, just like you guys were getting ready for the film review. I'm thinking about my five questions for the week. And it's just like throwing out the ideas of what is right and what's wrong. Like we don't know. We're trying to find out. It's like, I feel like the, the play calling and the run selections are doing any, no favors to the offensive line. And I think that that's maybe not that controversial of a statement. And your take on that was, well, like, yeah, you can, they want to do it. And there's got to be a reason that they keep banging their head into that same wall. But if you're not, at some point, you just have to say you can't do it. Yeah. Because there are other things that this offensive line can do. Sure. And, and, and I think things they still need to learn, right? Like my, just my opinion of watching them. I don't think they're a particularly good run blocking offensive line, and I don't think they're going to suddenly like become great at it. But I think they are better on the more like vertical running concepts, like inside zone, like Urban Meyer's base run play that Ryan Day still uses, but he's much more of an outside zone stretch guy. And Urban like never did that. Um, the gap schemes, like I know there were a few ugly ones against Maryland, but prior to that, I actually think those runs have looked pretty good this year. So but they're not leaning into them. And and maybe that's a game plan thing. They thought they could get Maryland on more of the outside hitting plays or set up play action, which they did do in the second half to give them credit. Like that's why you run those plays, right? To get the defense to flow fast to one side of the field 
and then spin out of it and throw the ball over their head. I, they probably didn't do that enough in the first half, which was frustrating. They did get to it in the second half, which I, I suppose was encouraging. Um, but I just feel like they can start faster. Like if they, if they do, if they do different things and like, I, I, I really do feel like I'm like trapped in a, in a cycle here. Cause I feel like we talk about this every year. It's like, why are you running the ball as often as you do? Why are you running it really only one way? Why are you so intent on playing two tight ends when you have the best receiving core in the country? And why are you like limiting your offense because you're doing all those things? I, I just don't get it. It's, it's, it's puzzling to me. So, and, and it's hard to ask Ryan day about it because he does get very defensive about it. And I'm sure when it comes up on Tuesday, later on, he, he will do the same because they did win a game by 20 points. They are the best passing offense in the big 10. Like they, that all those things are true, but we all, and I will say like we media fans, like have a baseline understanding of the talent on hand on, of this offense, especially at the skill positions. And I just don't think it's being utilized to the full extent. And it's, it's weird. Yeah, I feel like that's that's the issue. It's not a complaint that I feel like those game plans are going to get Ohio State beat. I, I don't really feel that way. And certainly that wasn't the case against Maryland. It probably will not be the case on Saturday against Purdue. And I don't feel like that's the way the game plan that they would choose if they had been playing Penn State or Michigan. I think that's the hardest part when the conversation always circles back to are they playing well enough to win the Big Ten? Are they playing well enough? Would that version of Ohio State beat the two best teams that are on the schedule to get to the Big Ten championship game? Like, you can answer that question and say no, but I, I always come back to like that's not even the way they would play. I think they would be more aggressive. I think they would be running different plays. I don't think they would continually put themselves in those situations. Like, it's not the same. But what we're watching and evaluating, like, there's only one game a week. Right. There's nothing else to talk about except what they did on Saturday. Yeah, I, I think you could be right about about that. The approach to, to the bigger games, um, like it, it didn't the, the the plan was different against Notre Dame. It was still ineffective early, but the plan was different to give them credit for it. Um, I'm sure it'll be different when they play Penn State and, and and Michigan at the end of the year. They're probably saving some stuff for that game. The, the thing that, that I find most bothersome about it, and I think Berman and I talked about this, and I, we've been talking about it since the game. Right, it, they were off. They had a time to like ad, uh, address their deficiencies and adjust their plan as needed and find out what their tendencies are and, and find ways to get around them. And then he just sort of like came out and did all the same stuff now. And, and is that because you don't want to show those things? Cause you know, Penn state's in three weeks. I, I think we, as media oftentimes like give coaches too much credit for, for being that forward thinking, but I guess, I guess we'll see. Um, I, I really hope that they didn't spend all that time looking at themselves in the bye week and then came out of it thinking like we're good. <laughs> we don't need to change anything. Next week is the week that yeah. the stretch is gonna hit. It's just it's just odd, right? And and there's nothing wrong with being a, a defense forward team, right? And and if Ohio State can muster enough offense to win games like by twenty against Maryland, like they did, and that defense continues to play the way the way it's playing, then they could very well win all their all their games. I'm not I'm not sitting here saying like this is definitely gonna cost them a game. But I don't want to find out, right? I, I don't. I don't want to continue to live this way and, and hope to get by. There, there are just things they can do to be a much better offense than they are right now, and that they're not. They don't seem to be like hitting their stride. There's no like upward trajectory with this offense. It does, it, with the exception of the Western Kentucky game, I guess. It kind of feels like it's been stuck in the same spot for five games. That's a fun way to start off a Tuesday press conference. Yeah, that's isn't that to me? That's the weird part because. The end result on the scoreboard didn't wind up being all that different from what was projected uh, by Vegas, by others. Uh, it shouldn't be the kind of 
win that anyone is upset about. If if you're giving Maryland credit for being a good and improved team, like beating them by 20 should be something that can be celebrated. And if not, that's you're saying that Maryland stinks and all these other problems are going to get Ohio State beat. Like I have a hard time viewing Saturday through that lens, but that's like I'm quite certain that that's going to be the tenor later on in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center of this press conference. Yeah, I, I, I will say, like, I, I I don't know that you should be, like, mad coming off of that game, right? I, I think the thing is, like, we, Ohio State, cannot run the football. Will that matter, yes. I think, is, is the question. Um, and it's quite possible that the answer to that question is no, because they'll figure out a way to throw it enough and score enough points, and the defense is really good, and, and they'll get by with that. That's definitely on the table. Um I, I guess it's about finding out Ryan Day's sense of urgency relative to that, like, and and his process for finding answers. Because I think he's pretty pretty clearly frustrated with it, right? But I don't think he's doing his players, his offensive line, his running backs, his offense as, as a you know as a whole many favors by continuing to just try to like call the same thing over and over again, like hope it works this time. Mm. Um, that that's that's a little concerning, I guess. But there are a lot of teams that do one thing really well and not and, and not the other. I, I guess the, maybe maybe the part that's different about this is even like in prior years, because with the exception of 2019, I don't think they've been a tremendous rushing team under Ryan Day. They, they got it figured out by the end of 2020 with Trey Sermon, um, but they've been like an okay to, I think, below average rushing team otherwise, but they've been so good at throwing the ball. There's like, oh, well, whatever. Yeah. And they're just not operating at that level just yet, but maybe, maybe they can get there, but like adding that layer on top of not being able to run the ball, I think makes feel makes people feel much different about this at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a great point because if you're you're not generally going to be the number one passing attack in the Big Ten or the country where they've lived in the last five six years under Ryan Day, and the most effective rushing team in the country, it's, expecting that to be the standard is kind of folly. Like you don't get really good at one thing and then like also really good at another yeah. like that. That would be the perfect ideal, even when LSU won the national championship and people were like, oh, breaking records and Joe Burrow did this and that. Like, their offensive line was terrible. Like, yeah. If I felt like if they had had to play Ohio State in the national championship game, Joe Burrow might have got broken in half by Chase Young <laughs> and they wouldn't have been so successful. But their offense was able to thrive and run enough that because of the other parts of that passing attack were so dangerous and prolific. Like, so that's the part that I, I think you're talking about. It's like, well, what is an acceptable level of rushing success to Ryan Day, to Ohio State, to winning the Big Ten? And why? how far short of that, how much more does he feel like he has to do to achieve that? Because I don't. it doesn't seem like it's necessary. Yeah, th- th- I agree with that. It's weird because it does, it does feel like now and last year, and maybe not so much before then, they are running so much because they're running to set up throwing the ball. And I just... I, I'll, I'll be happy to hear an explanation as to why, but I don't. I don't know why you can't just throw to set up everything else, right? Like Ryan Day is the head coach at Ohio State because of how well they threw the ball in 2018. Like their run game was an afterthought. They stunk running the ball that year too, but Dwayne Haskins threw for a billion yards that season, and everyone's like, "Oh, what's this? You can throw the ball forward down the field? What a what a revolution!" Um, but I but I, and I thought that's what we were signing up for when Ryan Day became the head coach. But it's much more balanced than I ever thought it would be, which is fine if you're good at both, but they're not. Um, so why can't they just start lining it up and chucking it around a little more? And if, again, if it goes back to Kyle McCord, then I guess let's have that discussion. But I just, there is a way to scheme up 
an explosive, efficient, effective passing offense with these receivers and this offensive line and this quarterback, even if Kyle McCord is a step below what they had with CJ Stroud. Like I, I just refuse to believe there's not. So correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. The touchdown rush on Saturday, I know, was wide to the field and Chip Tranum just ran away from somebody. Yep. Travion Henderson's 61-yard touchdown against Notre Dame was also not to the boundary. Correct. Is it that easy? I mean, <laughs> I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Um, that has been true largely, I think, as we've had this ongoing two-year discussion about how often they run into the boundary, that running to the field has been more effective for them. It was. It didn't really matter against Maryland. Like I, I was charting the run game numbers, and I was like, "Oh, I wonder if it was different. Eleven personnel versus twelve personnel. No, it was the same. I wonder if it was different running through the boundary or not. It was basically the same. They okay. just, they just, they just weren't good doing anything right. in that game. But larger picture, I do think you're right. Um, they have become incredibly predictable when the ball is on the hash. We all call it out in the press box. I'm sure people at home are yelling it out too. Like, watch this stretch run into the boundary, and like eight times out of ten, you're going to be right. But the two times, it's not often a touchdown yeah yeah so there might be something to that i like ryan day likes it because like i've had this conversation with him the wider hashes in college football give you an advantage because defenses are still probably going to set their formation to the wide side of the field you think you can get a numbers advantage running into the short side of the field um but defenses are overplaying it so much like watch when the ball is snapped every defense defender is slanting into the boundary and that's how you get them right You, you are setting stuff up there but it's like you do it like twice and then hit them one. You have to do it 15 times and then it's time to hit them with the okie doke. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's weird process to me. All right. Well, that's, that's the run game. And there's going to be a lot more conversation about it throughout the week uh, on the podcast, certainly during the press conference for Ryan day later on Tuesday. Um, what else could be on your mind, Bill? Um, I, I think I want to continue to get a feel for where Ryan day is with Kyle McCord, right? Cause my expectation was coming off the Notre Dame game. Like it's time to give this kid the keys. Let like, let him, let him run the show, you know, for better or for worse. Like maybe, maybe you encounter some hiccups along the way. Cause he is an experience, but we we're not there yet. And, and I guess this dovetails with the run game conversation. But um, if there is a way to get a, a, a sense of Ryan day's comfort level with truly letting Kyle McCord, like be the, and not so much the engine of the offense, because when you do that, the engine is the receivers, right? But mm-hmm. the point guard of the offense, more so than he has been, um, I thought we were there. I guess we're not. So can we get there by the Penn State game? It felt like in the second half, it was like, well, now it's time. Go yeah. Down. Yeah. And he was good in the second half, I thought. Like, it was it was not a good start. They got to figure out the, the faster start things. And I... Uh, that's maybe more of a Kyle thing than it is a Ryan day thing. I just thought Kyle was hesitant um, and maybe not seeing things well. And he talked about like the desire to be perfect. And he probably did feel like people were, I don't know how much the world was talking about after an Notre Dame game. Cause if you're doing an honest assessment of the totality of that game, like it was fine, but to, to perform how he performed on third down and then the end, like we did, like I think the narrative was starting to turn a little bit like, Oh, maybe this guy's pretty good. And maybe he felt some of that and then felt the need to like go out on Saturday and like be perfect to prove that I, maybe I'm, I'm putting thoughts in his brain that, sure. that aren't there, but um, I think that would be at least an, uh, an explanation for why he played as tight as he did at the beginning of that game. But um, I still think the best version of the offense is him throwing it much more than he is at, at the moment, uh, whatever that looks like, you know, more RPOs, quick game, whatever screens. I don't, I don't care. Um, they have to get the ball to the outside to, their playmakers, which are the best in the Big Ten, you know, 
better than most teams in the country, and I just don't think they're using that enough. Well, we'll keep an eye on throughout the week how those skill position players look with their health. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr., yeah. we know, not impacted really at all by, uh, at least noticeably or in terms of production with the sprained ankle on Saturday against Maryland. So count on that. Ameka Ibuka with the knee, he was hobbling pretty good was he, as he left on Saturday. You know, I, I don't know that it's – I don't know the severity. I, I don't think that it's something that is a long-term concern. That was the indication from Ryan Day after the game. But, you know, let a day or two pass and see how that feels, how that transpires. And then I expect that Travion Henderson will play. But there's some of this the stuff that's going on. Like, it is the middle of the season. So, you know, you're going to have to adjust and adapt the offense because at this point forward, like, there's probably not a great chance that Ohio State's going to be fully healthy and have that full complement of stars constantly available. Yeah, it's it's that time of year. Um, I'll, I'll be curious about Emeka too, because even if he, it's it was the same conversation with Marvin. Right? Even if he can play, should you play? Should him? Have, yeah. Um, and I think had they played a game immediately after Notre Dame, probably a different conversation from for Marvin, right? Um, I'm I'm assuming it's similar for for Emeka. You have to have him against Penn State. As, as best as you can have him. So if that means him not playing against Purdue, I think that that cautious approach is probably the right approach. I thought the cautious approach with Travion Henderson was right this week. If you if he has something lingering and you want to make sure you have him for that Penn State game, I think that's good. Um, I guess my question with that is, and like it's a personnel question at, at running back, if if Travion's not available, and you're like you're going to ride Chip and you have Mayan who are like pretty similar. I do think your run game becomes a little one note because the two guys you're going to use just sort of are the same guy mm-hmm. and you don't have Travion's explosiveness. So like, why can't Evan Pryor and Dallin Hayden get involved? It's, it's odd to me that neither one of them has really done much of anything for this offense. And I know you can't play five regularly and keep everybody happy, but this was an instance of being down a man, um, having a guy in chip Trano who I think we all think has been very good, but I don't know if you want to give him 20 carries a game. Um, and they just didn't use like the depth in that room. That 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 should be a strength for their offense. Like I thought that was bizarre too. So I like I don't know if I'll get a chance to ask, but I do hope somebody asks like, what's up with Evan Fryer and Dallin Hayden and your hesitancy to put them into a game? Yeah, because at some point you have to answer that. Like it was danced around uh, during the off week. Like, hey, more games have been played. Are you going to redshirt anybody? Is this this like Dallin Hayden did enough at the end of last year that his non usage through five games is noticeable? Yeah, it's like. Is this definitively what you're doing, and why is that? Because I, I don't think that you can play four or five. We've had that conversation before. Like It'd be a, an incredible luxury if you were able to incorporate that many running backs into an offense. Probably not practical. So if he's behind those other three, Dallin Hayden I'm talking about, like you can understand. Maybe, maybe it's just a break glass in case of emergency situation. And, and Maryland probably didn't quite qualify for that, but last year it did. Yeah, and then he delivered. Yeah, he saved them. <laughs> and I think he's how many games has he played? He's played one game this year. One game. Yeah. So like, even I don't necessarily think that wanting to preserve eligibility for Dallin Hayden is wrong. Although, like, if you think he has NFL upside, the likelihood of any running back staying for four years, I, I think, is pretty low. Um, so why not use him while you have him? But I, I think like he is pretty clearly in line to be a guy next year, maybe not the guy, but a guy next year, if they're going to lose a couple running backs um, from, from this year's room, but it's weird. It's, it's very strange. Like it was strange last year when we asked about him, like, Oh, and Ryan day talked about ball security. And we're like, is he fumbling in practice? And he said, no, like, what are you talking about? And now he's just like, he's gone. Like he's not doing anything. So, um, 
I don't know how much different that game looks on Saturday if he does play, because I think a lot of the run game issue was offensive line driven and, and less running back driven. Like last year, it was, I think, a lot of just not being healthy at running back. And we saw the difference when Dallin Hayden got in there. This year, I think it's much more about what's going on up front. And maybe Dallin Hayden will find himself running into similar walls of people and not finding much space for, to, to find room. But sure. um, it's like they have a luxury that a lot of teams don't have with the depth in that room. And it's, it's just weird that they're not using it. Yeah, Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones are not on that offensive line. They sure aren't. Yeah, I think we can say that they're not. not I mean, neither Luke Luke Lippler, Lippler too. Like whatever you thought about Luke last year, and um, you know, I thought he was a good player. Not you know, blow me away, but he was a solid center. I think they're worse off at that position now this year too. And um, the guard play that I you hoped would be a strength of the offensive line, I I don't think has been at least on one side of the line. The left side, the right side, I think has been a little better, but. Um, it's. I'm not surprised that they're not great at the moment. I just thought we'd see signs game over game of them getting better, and I don't think that we're seeing that either. But I also I think those five are the five, right? If they had a chance to switch it, they would have done it in the off week, and they didn't do it. Yeah, they did not. All right, what about Jim Knowles? Uh, I want to ask him about a specific play, the Josh Proctor interception. Because on that play, and I sent this out to our text subscribers uh, on Monday, um, Ohio State was up on the line, like off linemen, both linebackers mugged up, third down play, like the kind of play last year where Jim Knowles was coming after you. And it looked like they were going to do that and just play like man covered zero blitz on the back end. And I think Maryland was expecting that. And then they just dropped out of it. And they played like Tampa two and like Josh Proctor was like lined up over a guy, shuffled to his right a little bit and just like jumped right into the throw window where Talia was going to throw the ball. And I thought that was maybe the perfect example of what Jim Knowles has said a few times this year about being unpredictable rather than ultra aggressive all the time. But I do wonder how much he feels like his reputation for being aggressive is still helping him. (laughs) And if like at a certain point will that switch flip and teams are like, well, he's not doing it now. I guess we shouldn't assume that he's going to. And then like, how do you counter that? So there's like, there's an interesting thing I think happening with Jim Knowles' approach to defense this year, which has been incredibly effective and they're awesome. Um, but I think he's going to have to like zig and zag a little bit as teams adjust to his adjustment. So there's a fun game of chess, I think happening there. Isn't that wild? If you, you can suddenly become unpredictable by switching into a conservative <laughs> yes. coordinator. Imagine that being your representative. This guy's not coaching like a maniac anymore. How about What's that? Now we have on? no idea what to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm interested to hear what he what he has to say about that. It's like an ongoing conversation this year, which I think is is very interesting because I just I think I've said this before, maybe on on the, another Tuesday daily. Like I I don't think coaches do what Jim Knowles has done very often. They are very much set in their ways. in their ways. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, oh, we'll switch it up if we need to switch it up. We'll switch it up, and it it's been great for them so far. Yeah, it's certainly certainly working on the field. I, I'm I would like to hear. I didn't write about this on Monday in my five questions, but. Uh, I wanted to, and I'm thinking about it a lot, which is what the evaluation is for what Caden Curry and Kenyatta Jackson are bringing at defensive end, what they feel like Jack Sawyer is providing, because Byrne made this point on Saturday after the game, like they're not necessarily asking him on every single snap to go get the pressure, go get the quarterback, like be ultra aggressive. Like it seems like he's probably executing his assignment to the level that they want Jack Sawyer because they didn't take him out for a single snap at Notre Dame. Uh, does Jim Knowles do Larry Johnson? Do they feel like that inj- energy is different when Caden Curry is out there? Because to me, watching it, it looks different. Now the stat sheet didn't necessarily reflect that, but like, what is the honest evaluation? Which we may not get. 
what is the feeling about what those other guys provide at defensive end? Why is this the approach that they're sticking with moving forward? Again, it's not to suggest that it's a problem. I think there's a lot of things that we look at, like it's just that it may not be Ohio State's full potential, but it's not something that's going to cost them a game. I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that's the case with what Jack and JT have done. But like, do you feel it? And do you need more of it? Like, how much more can, can you get out of it? Yeah, I, th- I think that that is an interesting question. I want to know the answer to that too, because it does. I said this to Berm on Monday. Like, it's not like Caden Curry was like constantly in the backfield wrecking stuff. It was just, but he doesn't stop moving. And like at a, like a certain point, I think that becomes annoying for, for an offensive <laughs> line. It's like, God, can you just stop? Like, the play's almost over. Just stop. But like, <laughs> um, I think that he he then becomes a guy like you need to pay a little bit of attention to just just solely because of that. He had the play where he deflected a pass where like he got pushed 12 feet past the pocket and just kept fighting and then got back into the play and Talia did a Talia thing and like tried to run and throw at the same time and like threw it right at Caden Curry. That's so disrespectful. But uh but I mean he does Ohio State did what they needed to do to him in that game. Like when yeah. he when he when you he can be rattled. If you don't rattle him, they'll pick you apart. But they pressured him, I thought, pretty well. They did sack him a few times, and he was like three of thirteen when he was under pressure. So like right. they did what they were supposed to do. And Caden Curry was a part of that because Caden Curry was just sort of like always in the way, even if he wasn't like quite there to to get a sack. But I think that helps everyone else on the defensive line, including like Mike Hall. We saw Mike Hall probably have a game we've been waiting to see from him, right? We were wondering where where that was. I think he had five pressures and, and a sack and was playing with a lot of juice. So um, I, that, I'm not, I don't want to overstate the importance of a player like Caden Curry or Kenyatta Jackson, but I do think both of them just give you something different from the other two ends that, again, like why not use it if you have it? Are you excited to hear 15 variations of 2018 Purdue. Uh, yeah. Asked. Yeah. That was uh, that was not a good day for Ryan Day's offense. That that game. It was a worse day for the defense trying to stop Rondell Moore. But I yeah. think I think the offense was like 0 for five in the red zone in that game, weren't they? Between the twenties, <laughs> the offense was pretty darn good. Yeah. I, I I forget the exact total. I know Dwayne threw for over 400 he threw yards. A bull, yeah. He also threw like 70 passes. It was. <laughs> In the wind, over 400 yards, and then it's like, huh, well, that's weird. Yeah. They can't score in the red zone, and here we are in 2023 asking what's going on with short yardage and red zone. I, there, there is no Rondell Moore on Purdue's roster, uh, and Iowa beat Purdue last week while completing six passes, and none of them to wide receivers. Hmm. So I do like Ohio State's chances in this game. <laughs> You were really big on Purdue in the offseason. I was. They've let me down. Yeah, yeah they, I thought I thought they'd be a little better than, than they have been. Um, all right. Well, we're going to hear a lot about 2018. Brace yourself for that. Uh, Josh Proctor and Matthew Jones both played in that game. Proctor already got those questions on Saturday, so maybe we it was like forever ago. It was so long ago. <laughs> the light at the end of the tunnel was a train. <laughs> Shout out. More than anything that happened in that game, I just remember the press box. Yeah. And Ari, maybe that's why I don't remember all the details of every single snap of that game was Ari arguing with me about his lead for his the entirety lead. of the yeah. game. I mean, just, yeah. Good for him that he got to use it, I guess. <clears throat> he unleashed it. All right. So, uh, new, noon, Ryan Day, Jim Knowles. We will have the stream of that on the podcast. Stay tuned for that. A uh, lot of questions coming, and we're going to try and get all the answers that we can out of the Ohio State Brain Trust. Maybe some snap judgments on the way after that. There's more Kings of Columbus. There's Buck IQ. Everything coming throughout the week that you've come to expect as we get ready for that matchup on Saturday at noon. Uh, this, though, has been a Talking Tuesday on the Podcast Daily, and he's Bill Landis. I'm Austin Ward. We're out of here.